Good morning, church. Those of you joining us online over there in the sanctuary, and especially you peeps up in uh, True Worth, there are three things that I love. I love a lot of sugar in my sweet tea. I love football on Sunday afternoons. And I love, I love me some soul and my worship music. So I'm in a good place right now, and I hope you are too. Hey, so we are in our second weekend of the Total Package series about health and wellness. And you might be thinking, hey, not a moment too soon. Summer's just right around the corner, and I got to figure out how to get my beach body ready to go, right? Okay, so that's probably not what we're going to talk about. I, I, I do think it's interesting, though, that whenever we talk about health and wellness, that's usually the first place that we go to is physical fitness. And to some degree, mental health as well. Now, these are important things. But today, today, what I want us to do is I want us to just, I want us to peel back a little bit to some of those layers and figure out what's beneath all of that. What is at the root of our journey to health and wellness? Can anybody tell me what's significant about the date February 11th, 1990? I was only nine years old on that day, but I have a very clear picture in my mind of that day. I remember watching the news and seeing a picture of this man. If you don't know, it's Nelson Mandela. And on February 11th, 1990, after 27 years of being in prison, he walked the streets with his wife as a free man. And almost immediately, he enters into negotiations with the president of South Africa to end the apartheid. And if you don't know, the apartheid, it's one of the most egregious examples we've ever seen of systemic racism. But I would argue that his victory didn't begin on that day. I would argue that it began in 1948 and continued every day for the next 52 years. So what was it? What was driving Mandela to keep at it for so many years? When you read in the Bible, in 2 Samuel, you're going to read about the Israelites finally achieving their independence, their acquisition of the promised land, the establishment of this powerful monarchy led by King David. But I would argue their victory didn't happen on that day. Their victory began many generations before them. So what is it? What was it that was driving the Israelites to keep at it generation after generation after generation? What was driving Mandela to keep fighting for change even while he's sitting in prison? What's, what's at the root of our journey to health and wellness? One word, vision. Health and wellness begin with vision. We're going to pass out some Bibles, and and when you get it, I want you to open up to Exodus chapter 3. Second book of the Bible, so it's right there towards the beginning. And what what I want us to do today is I want us to wrestle with what is my why? Like, what's the reason that you get out of bed Every day. Why do you even want to want to get healthy in the first place? What are you passionate about? What do you what do you get excited about? Like I'm gonna I'm gonna be transparent with you. I'll tell you, the people 
that I think are the saddest people to be around, the people that are just the most draining for me to be around, it's not the people that have a lot of challenges or obstacles that they have to overcome. It's actually the opposite. It's the people that don't have any challenges, the people that, that don't have any struggles, the people that don't have any vision for their lives, no direction, no purpose, the people that just seem to wake up every day simply because the alarm clock woke them up. Now, if you're new to Pathway or if you're new to the faith, what you need to know is that God has a vision for each one of us. You'll read in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I have come so that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now, I want to be clear on the front end. The abundant life is not the easy life. The abundant life is not the, is not the comfortable life. The abundant life is the meaningful life. So what we're going to do today is we're going to wrestle with what is my vision? Where does it, where does it come from? How am I going to get there? So there in, in Exodus chapter 3, we find Moses keeping his father-in-law's flock. And at this point, the Hebrew people were living in Egypt as slaves. I want to pick up there at verse 2. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you were standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. When we, when we think about health and wellness, these things, they begin with vision, a vision of, of where you are and where you want to be. Now, to be fair, there, there are all sorts of visions, and not all of them are good. And not to be crass, but let's be honest, Hitler had a vision. Bin Laden, he had a vision. But the vision that I'm talking about, the good ones, the ones that are connected to health and wellness, those only come from God. The vision that Moses receives, it came directly from God. And it was a picture that God was showing Moses of where God was going to take the Israelites to the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So as you're, as you're wrestling with your why, that's a really good place to start. Just, just ask yourself, what's the promised land that God is showing me? And if you're not having that conversation, look, you can't expect God to bless the plans that you've made. Like, too often we, we, we have this conversation with God. We say, God, okay, these are, these are my goals in life. These are my plans. These are my desires. These are the plans that I've made. Will you help me get there? Will you bless my plans? When really the, the conversation should go like this. Hey, God, these are my goals. These are my plans. These are my desires. But my biggest desire is to know you. 
to know how you see me, to know what the plans that you have for me. God, I don't want your blessing for my plans. God, I want to know how your plans for me are going to help me bless somebody else. Now, if you're not having that conversation, sorry, I don't want to keep making the same point every time I come up here, but there's a reason why we stress beginning your day in the Word, beginning your day in prayer, in solitude. It's because these things are life-giving. Like as you pour yourself into that conversation with God, God pours into you. God begins to show you a vision of what your promised land looks like. Now, I just I want to say something really quickly here. If, you're, if you are about to go to college or you're in college or you're just out of college, if at the core of your why looks something like this, go to college so that I can get a degree, so that I can have this job, so that I can have this income, so that I can have this house and this car and this retirement. If that's at the core of your why, open up your schedule, open up your planner, flip over to your early 40s and go ahead and write in mid-life crisis. <laughs> it's coming for you. Because guess what's going to happen? You're going to follow that plan and you're going to get there and you're going to stop and look around and be like, oh, is this really what the promised land looks like? Look, those aren't bad goals to have. I know people that have followed that, that plan to a T, but with one important difference. Beneath it all, they had a very meaningful why. They were doing all of that so that they could fund the vision that God had given them. And those people are doing some really incredible things. So, so when do these visions typically come? Now, it, it doesn't have to happen this way, but it typically does. God's always pouring into us, always. The problem is we aren't always listening. When do we listen? When do we find time to pray? When do we find time to, to look to God? The answer? When we're desperate. Vision is driven by desperation. When we find ourselves in crisis or we experience tragedy, life, life throws us a curve. That's usually the moment when we're open to hearing from God, when we're more open to change, when we're looking for direction, when the pain of staying where we are is greater than the pain of going where God is leading us. I want you to flip back to Exodus chapter 1. You might remember the Hebrew people, they were living in Egypt in the first place because of Joseph and his brothers, but their circumstances have changed quite a bit since then. I want to pick up there at verse 8. It says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick. And in all kinds of work in the field, in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. 
The vision that Moses received came from God right in the midst of their crisis. The, the Israelites found themselves in a position that was no longer acceptable. The pain of, of change, of uncertainty, of the unknown that lie in the wilderness ahead of them was no longer greater than having to endure the pain of living as slaves in Egypt anymore. Mandela, same thing. He, along with a lot of other black South Africans, found themselves in a situation that was no longer okay. The pain of confrontation, of nonviolent resistance, of imprisonment, all of which were guaranteed outcomes, was no longer greater than the pain of having to endure the apartheid anymore. Now, some of you know what this feels like. Some of you have experienced something similar. If you've ever lived in an abusive household and the pain of leaving, not knowing where to go, where to live, how to make a living, is no longer greater than the pain of having to endure abuse at home anymore. And that's when the vision comes. That's when you see what a healthy, loving household might look like. Now, often, when we experience these moments of tragedy, of crisis, often the question that gets asked is, where's God in this? Where, God, God, where are you? God is in the vision of where God wants to take you away from the abuse, away from the brokenness, away from the addiction. You see... It's, often it's, it's easy to blame God for the brokenness that we experience. And I would say, you know, for a season, hey, that's okay. It's okay to blame God because guess what? God can take it. But know this, God is in the brokenness, not because God brought it on, but because God's bringing you out of it. Look, the good visions, the meaningful ones, the ones that stand the test of time, those come only from God. So the next time you find yourself in crisis or in tragedy and you ask yourself, where's God? Know that God is creating a vision for you that takes you through your wilderness but to the promised land. Now, having vision, this is massively important. If you want direction in your life, vision is just, it's critical. But I want to say this about vision, about why it's important to pour yourself into that relationship with God to understand what is the vision that God has for you because that vision that's unique to you, it's a vision that includes your skills, your passions, your desires, and it groups them together to fit a need in the world in such a way that only you can do. People who lack vision, what do they tend to do? They mimic what they see other people doing. Like, social media didn't invent this behavior, but it certainly amplified it. I mean, we, we, we see other people doing really cool things, and, and we're inspired, and we'll say, man, that looks cool. I think I'll try that. That looks fun. And when we do this, we do a disservice to the life that God has given us because God has created a unique vision for each one of us. And I would argue... I would argue that when we do this, when we adopt somebody else's vision for ourselves, it's not that we're inspired by what they're doing. Sometimes, if, if, we're, if we're really honest, we're inspired by the praise that they receive. 
And if that's your primary motivator, the praise that you hope to receive, I'm going to tell you, you won't last. Your vision, it won't last. Anybody ever heard of Samuel Pierpont Langley? Of course not. (laughs) How about the Wright brothers? Ah, we know the Wright brothers, don't we? They were both working on the same thing. They wanted to be the first in flight. And what's interesting is back then, everybody knew Langley. Nobody knew the Wright brothers. Because Langley had all the media attention. Langley had all the funding. He had all the smart people in his team. They, they wanted to be the first in flight. But you know what the Wright brothers had that they didn't have? They had a meaningful vision. They were, they were truly inspired by what they were doing, what they wanted to do. And that kept them at it day after day after day. And when they beat Langley to the punch, when they were the first in flight, guess what Langley did? He quit. He walked away. You see, health and wellness, it it begins with vision. But it doesn't end there. See, I think some of us have vision. Some of us have answered our why question. But there's at least one more necessary ingredient to making that vision a reality. And it's not a fun word. It's a nasty word. It's a curse word for some of you people. That word, discipline. Look, vision shows you where you're going, but discipline is what gets you there. Vision without discipline means failed diets, wasted gym memberships, poorly managed finances, relapses into addiction, affairs, divorce, broken relationships. Vision plus discipline equals the impossible. Like, I don't have time to take you through every story in Exodus where the Israelites would complain to Moses. Countless times they would go to Moses and they would complain about the journey. It was, it was too hard that they were going to die or they were, they were hungry, they were thirsty. Or they, you know, life was just so much better back in Egypt as slaves. We need to go back to what we know. But Moses, every day for 40 years, he keeps at it every day, every day. You see, when we combine discipline with vision, the unthinkable starts to happen. The impossible starts to happen. I want you to turn over to Exodus 14. So at this point, the Israelites have escaped slavery in Egypt. And they found themselves, they're in a pickle. They got the Red Sea in front of them, and they got a pursuing Egyptian army behind them. I want to pick up there at verse 21. It says, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on the right and on their left. What must that have looked like? I mean, can you imagine 
Not, walk, not traveling over the sea, but walking through the sea. And you got water here and here, and you're walking on dry land. What must that have looked like? Now, I know what some of you may be thinking. Come on, did, did that really happen? Did it really happen that way? Did the, the, the sea really part? Did it really walk on dry land? Bear in mind, we're talking about the almighty creator, the one who created all that is, the one who created the very sea that they're walking through. What's a little water for God to push back? Might I suggest that we adopt that same mentality the next time we see our challenges as impossible? What's a little water for God to push back? Now, I'm sure some of you are saying right now, Chris, you don't know me. I'm just, I'm not a disciplined person. It's not who I am. Well, guess what? You can change that. It's a choice. Like, I, I can speak from my own experience. When I, when I first went to college, I considered it a victory if I showed up to class on time. <laughs> Bonus points if I brought my books. And if I'd actually done my homework... Okay, so I'm not really sure what that would have been. I don't know that I ever did that. <laughs> but I made a conscious decision to redefine myself, to not interpret myself on past failures, but on future success. But discipline, it, it's not going to come natural for most of us. There's this sort of like gravitational pull that works against discipline. So quickly, I want to give you three enemies of discipline. Here's the first one, letter A, excuses. This could be the biggest pitfall for all of us. We look for reasons to keep us from moving forward with the vision that God has given us. We look for reasons why something won't work. Whenever I'm working on something new here at the church, if I'm working on a project, depending on how big it is, I'll, I'll begin to ask people about, okay, how can we make this work? And sometimes, what I get instead is why it won't work. I'll get things like, well, Chris, that's, that's a good idea. Here's why it won't work. And when I hear that, I quickly identify the people that I don't need to be working with for this. Because here's the reality. When you've got a vision from God, there's always going to be a lot of reasons why it won't work. Stop focusing on why it won't work. Instead, focus on why it needs to work. I want to show you something. This is one of my most treasured gifts. This here is a homemade guitar. This was a gift. One of my students gave this to me. His name is Dexter Collins, and I taught him guitar for about 10 years. And on his last lesson, before he went off to college, he brought this to me, and he told me the story of this guitar. He said that when he was in third grade, he told his parents he wanted to play guitar. They didn't take him serious. So they didn't buy him a guitar. Okay, so there's a good excuse. Third grader wants to play guitar, but he doesn't have one to play. I don't think any of us would have faulted him for not playing guitar. But you see, Dexter, he doesn't focus on why his dream won't work. Instead, he figures out, how's it going to work? And so he goes to the garage, and he proceeds to build himself his own guitar. Now, it was at this point that his parents realized, <laughs> okay, so he's probably serious about this. 
and they buy him a guitar. Two weeks from today, Dexter Collins will graduate from college with a degree in classical guitar. Should any of us be surprised by that? No. Why? Because Dexter focused on why his dream had to work, not on the reasons why it wouldn't. The next time you find yourself making excuses, remember this guitar. Remember Dexter. The next enemy of discipline. Oh, this is a bad one. Wasted time. Look, time in general, it can be your friend or it can be your enemy. And it's entirely up to you. How intentional are you with your schedule? One of my biggest pet peeves is when people tell me that they're too busy to work on goals that they have or a vision that they have. You know why? We're all busy. Every one of us. And what I've found is the people that genuinely have the crazy schedules, they tend to be the best at working on their vision because they've figured out something that some of us haven't figured out. And that is, there's no time to waste. So when I was in college, I had two roommates. One of them, we called him Big Nate. He was about 6'5", 370 pounds. He was a big dude. So Big Nate, he's got a, a term paper due in music history. It's not due till May, but he knows about it in January. Does Big Nate work on it in January? No. What about February, March, April? No, no. The day before it's due, he comes rushing home, realizing the uphill battle he now has to climb. And he says, okay, I've, I've wasted enough time. I've got to buckle down, and I've got to get it done. And then Big Nate proceeds to plop down on the couch, turn on Sports Center. <laughs> I look at him, and I'm like, Nate, you, when are you going to start? And, and he's like, I, I just, I need a moment to catch my breath. It's been a long day of classes. That moment turns into three hours. It's 9 p.m. Nate's still sitting on the couch. He still hadn't done squat. He realizes that he's now going to have to pull an all-nighter. Look, if you're going to college or you're in college, there's something you need to know about pulling all-nighters, something I don't think Nate understood. There's not an infinite number of hours at night. There's actually a quantifiable number of hours at night. You see, Nate thought that once he'd resolved to pull an all-nighter, then problem solved. I've got all the time in the world now. Not true. There's actually a set number of hours at night, just like during the day. I know it sounds crazy. So 9 p.m., Nate's on the couch, still watching ESPN, decides he's going to pull an all-nighter. You know what he does next? He picks up his phone. He calls his buddy. No lie, I'm sitting next to him watching this conversation, and my jaw, like, hits the floor. He says, hey, man, I'm, I'm pulling an all-nighter. I need a study break. Can you meet me at Old South for fi- in about 15 minutes for coffee? <laughs> the dude hadn't done anything yet. I was like, Nate, I don't think that qualifies as a study break if you haven't started studying yet. Like, that's just being lazy. That's all it is. Look, as crazy as that story may sound, I'm willing to bet that each one of us, we got a similar story of how we've wasted time. Look, here's the harsh reality. That clock, it doesn't stop ticking. 
those days, they don't stop flying off the calendar. If 10 years from now, you find yourself no closer to realizing your vision than where you are right now, it's not because you were busy. It's because you wasted time. Think about one year from now. Where do you want to be one year from now? As you look back on how this year went, what do you want to be able to say about this year? Do you really want to say, you know, it's been a pretty good year. I, I spent quite a bit of time on Facebook and Instagram. I checked out some cool filters on Snapchat. My fantasy football team, man, it's kicking some tail. It's been a good year. I've binge-watched some really cool shows. Is that really what you want to say about your highlight reel for this year? I'm willing to bet no. But that's going to be the reality for many of us when we're not intentional. We just sort of accidentally do what we want to do. The last thing I want to say about enemies of discipline, there's no nice way to put it. Bad friends. Like, I don't have time to spend on this, but I think you know what I mean. There are people in your life who are not healthy. They have no vision. They have no drive, no goals. They're just living day to day. These are the people that will tell you why your vision won't work. Because they know that if you get healthy, if you follow your vision, they're getting left behind. They don't want that. Pick your friends wisely. This doesn't mean that you can't be friendly with everybody. It doesn't mean that you can't serve everybody. But be careful about the people that you let speak into your life, the people that you let adjust your internal thermostat. So speaking of having good friends and the importance of having good friends, I've invited one of my really good friends to come on up here. This is, well, most of you probably know who he is. This is Andrew Dolan. He is on staff here. He's our director of music. And Andrew and I have known, known each other for about 10 years now, right? Yeah, about 10 years, sounds right. And actually, we met because we, we were roommates before we worked together. And we were roommates for a good solid month before I even knew it. We had different schedules. Sure. And I, one morning, I remember I, I wake up and I go to the kitchen and I'm making breakfast. And I look over and I see some random dude in the living room watching TV. I was like, do you live here now? And he said, yeah, for about a month now. Good to know. Now, if you are new here, if, you're, if you've only been here just recently, what you need to know is Andrew has gone through a pretty substantial transformation. So just so you can see what that is, camera, if you can, I want you to zoom in on Andrew. And everybody, I want you to look at the screens, okay? <laughs> 2019, 2017. Can I see 2019, Andrew, again? 2017. Do I remember that guy? Yeah. Do you got a stupid joke about? Yeah, that was back when I was on that seafood diet, you know? <laughs> the seafood and I eat it. But you also need to know about Andrew. He has a love of puns. He's very good I at do. it. I do, I do. So I brought Andrew up here. We could, we could talk about his journey, about the ups and the downs and the struggles and all of that. But what I'm primarily interested in, what I want you guys to hear from is why. Why is it? after 28 years of being in a certain condition that you made a decision, okay, I'm making a change. Why'd you do it? 
I could give you a whole long list of whys, uh, but I think it all stems primarily from I was at a point in my life and probably a little bit later in my life than it should have come that I came to that realization that I want to have a future and I want to be around as long as I can. You know, I, I don't, I'm not married. I don't have kids right now, but I want kids. I want a family and I want to be there for them as long as I can. I want to be a granddad one day and a great granddad for that family and to be able to do what God's called me to do, whatever that may be now and in the future, to do that for as long as I possibly can. And the track that I was on at that point in my life was definitely not going to get me as long as I possibly could. I want to say something really quick. I've, I've made this point before that if you're a parent, you understand this, that one of the most profound ways we as parents experience love is when people are kind to our kids. When people are good to our kids, man, we experience that in a profound way. So think about how our kids are going to experience love the same way through their kids. So think about what Andrew just said. As you think about a vision of health and wellness and being physically healthy, think about how can I love my kids? Well, one of the ways that I can love my kids is by taking care of myself so that I am in good enough shape that I can be a very active grandparent so I can love their kids. I think that's a very important thing, and I think it's very wise of you to have that vision this early in life. What else? Uh, you know, you've been talking about discipline, and one of the things that I really hope going into this process behind the why and something I've really experienced through it is the, the discipline it takes to continue through this and how that actually affects other areas of your life. When you start to learn discipline in one area and you start learning the practices of what discipline looks like, you can start applying it in different areas of your life. So it's affected discipline in my spiritual life, my relationships, my emotional life, and in my financial life. It affects all these areas. And, and I'll say this for some of you, most of you probably know, but a lot of you don't. I did have weight loss surgery uh, back in about 18 months ago. And so there can be sometimes with some people this little bit of a, a stigma with it that it's, a, it's easier. It's an easier way out. But let me tell you, there's a lot of discipline that comes along with that. There's a lot of discipline, the mental change that has to happen, and then following it, um, even as further you get out like I am now, it's still a discipline to look at what the kind of choices I make. And um, so those areas have been able to kind of creep into other areas of my life. I just want to reiterate, I, I was one of those people. I, whenever I would hear somebody had the surgery, I thought, well... They kind of took the easy way out. And then I experienced it firsthand through Andrew, and I'm a believer. That, that I have much admiration for people that go through that and, and maintain that sort of discipline that, it, that is required. But that area of discipline, you, you just said, it became catalytic for other right. areas. Like, it, it, that wasn't the end game, but it was a part of this greater picture. You're mm -hmm. being physically disciplined led to all these other areas. Exactly. Do you think you could have done it? by yourself, alone? Not a chance. Not a chance. And, you know, you talk about having good friends. And for me, what I felt like was I had a church full of good friends, that people that were here that supported me. A lot of you, you know, encouraged me along the way because some of you knew that that was happening before it even happened. And, and good friends and, and family that supported me, close friends that supported me that just made this process so much better and helped encourage me along the way and helped keep me accountable to, to hold to those disciplines and things that's been required through the process. So, Andrew, one more question. If, let's, let's just let's go back, back in time about five, six years, and you and I are having a conversation. I say, hey, Andrew, guess what? The day is coming. You're going to turn 30, and you're going to weigh under 200 pounds. What would you have said? I would have said, you're absolutely nuts. <laughs> Not a chance. <laughs> well,
what would other people have said? Probably the same thing. Probably the same thing. Just because of where I was at that point in my life and some areas that I lacked in discipline and, and people that were close to me probably knew that about me. So one might say that would have been an impossible vision. Definitely. So, Definitely. church, I present to you the impossible vision realized. Hey, I haven't said this in all of the services, but I want to say it now, and I'm sure I speak for uh, those of you out there that, that know Andrew as well. Very proud of you. I just am I'm inspired by what you've done, what you've gone through, and I'm, I'm stoked because of that. There was a time I worried about you because of, of health reasons, and I don't worry about that anymore. I'm very, very proud of you. Thank you. Thank you for being up here, Andrew. I want to say one more thing about this idea of vision and discipline achieving the impossible. I want you to consider that word, impossible. Impossible only has a claim on the past. It has no claim on the present or the future. I think when, I think when God hears that word, impossible, God's response is, hey, check this out. You see, impossible, it uses past experience to try and predict future realities. But we serve a God who every day is creating new possibilities for us to live into. Think about what we celebrated just two weeks ago. Jesus was dead, and then he wasn't. I mean, sometimes when you hear something enough, it... it it starts to lose its luster. So I want you to really let that sink in. Jesus was dead, and then he wasn't. I want you to think about that. The next time you look at your vision that God has given you and you think that it's impossible, guess what? It should be. Please hear me loud and clear. As followers of Christ, we must be driven by what is not possible, yet what should be. As the body of Christ, we all have a collective why to share the love and grace of Jesus Christ. We must be driven by the impossibility of sharing that love to the literal ends of the earth as well as the literal ends of the human soul. As followers of Christ, we must embrace fully the impossibility and the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. If your vision is possible, then it's not bold enough. If your vision is possible, then it's not imaginative enough. If your vision is possible, then it does not take seriously the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus had a very clear why. Jesus was passionately in love with this thing called life. So much so that he came to dwell among us and endure everything that went with it. But he did it because he had a vision of a redeemed life. And that's now a gift that we all have. So the question is, what are you going to do with your gift of a redeemed life? May we all go and do the impossible. 
Father God, thank you for being a God of vision, being a God of, of daily smashing the impossible. Father, thank you for, for being a God who, who continues to show us visions even after we fail. You don't give up on us. You continue to create visions for life about where you want us to go. So, Father, give us, give us the strength, the courage, the imagination to follow where you are leading, to, to be creative about seeking new possibilities, about bringing your kingdom and making it on earth as it is in heaven. Father, give us the strength, the love, and the compassion of your son, the one who came to show us what you are all about, what true vision can really accomplish. We love you and we praise you in your son's name. Amen. Have a great day, guys.